Good evening. Glad everyone can make it out, and uh, and I'm glad I I made it. I uh, was sick and didn't make it to church. I was a ribbon pastor, and he I talked to him yesterday, and he said, "Now, so you're going to speak tomorrow?" And I go, "Speak tomorrow?" And I got him bad, so he was like, "Oh no." So yeah, so it seems like every time we're called on to do something for the Lord. Then uh, you get these spiritual attacks. So first it was kind of sickness and bronchitis and strep throat and all those good things. And then my back kind of went to went crazy after that. So no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So we just continue to do what we do. So I'm really pleased. That I was blessed by the study in Judges, and um, and uh, I'm just anxious to share with you guys what I learned. Uh, and what the Lord laid on my heart to, to share with you. So with that, I'll open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us all gather in your house, and uh, I just pray that you would use this time to uh, bless us and, and that you would uh, encourage us and that you would just keep us walking in the way, and, and I just pray that uh, we would all be of one accord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So yeah, I uh, again, I was really blessed by my study in Judges. Judges... Uh, is a book that occurs between Joshua's death and between the monarchies of Saul and David when you know, the Israelites concluded that they wanted a, a king of their own and they got, I call Saul, he was tall, his dad was a wealthy man, but they tall, f- flowing blonde hair. I always picture Fabio, so they had King Fabio. <laughs> he was a looker and everybody was happy for a, for a moment. And uh, that, that's typically how, how things go. So that's when it happens. So it's between Joshua and, and uh, Saul. And many people don't realize, but uh, Moses passes away and he's not allowed to go into the promised land because of their whining in the desert. And, uh, and so he gets to go up on the mountaintop and God gives him the, the, the look-see of the promised land, and so he, he's able to see before he passes. And then the, 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 uh, the, the baton gets passed to Joshua, and it's, it's the rainy season, and they've got to cross the Jordan to go into the, to the promised land. And the banks have swollen, so it's like, think of the flooding that's going on now, the mighty Mississippi, and it's just daunting in here. He's trying to figure out, you know, what do I do? So he prays, of course. He stops praise, and the Lord tells him, just step into the Jordan, and that's what he does. And he parts the Jordan. So picture the mighty Mississippi being parted, much like the Red Sea. Years ago when I was, you know, reading through the Bible, it struck me. I just, I never knew that there was this second parting. And, um, and so, yeah, that was very interesting. So he parts the, the Jordan at the height of the, the flooding, and they cross, and then they carry these 12 stones, and they take those stones then to the first town they come to, and uh, they set up a, a, an altar for the Lord for sacrifices. And so uh, that's kind of how it all starts. And then Joshua goes in. Of course, he and, and, and 11 other men, uh, Caleb being one of them, 
goes and scouts the promised land and they come back and they say it's a land flowing with milk and honey and Joshua and Caleb are saying let's go for it and the other ten are like there's giants there's these Philistines and I'm afraid of that and I'm no don't do it and so they don't and so everybody else from that generation is wiped out they don't get to enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb which brings us to judges and so my my verse my passage was the third chapter but to really get a feel for it I I, I just kind of wanted to give you the the bird's eye view the the once over for uh, for judges so so we start and I'll read in chapter 3 and then we're going to kind of back up from there because I want to fill in the blanks and, and fill in the pieces. So in chapter 3, uh, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass, I'm back in verse 1, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Benek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. So, that is chapter, just a brief snippet of chapter 1 of Judges. So, we see that uh, Joshua is very successful, they're taking land, uh, um, and so that, that kind of sets the stage. And then, of course, he passes away. And so we fast forward to chapter 3, which was actually my assignment, but some people just can't stay on task. And, uh, and uh, we, uh, we, we start there with the first judge. So this is a time when there's no clear leadership for the Israelites. Uh, Joshua's passed away. Caleb... Uh, kind of picked up the torch from there. Um, and then after he's gone, then the Israelites uh, commit idolatry. They play the harlot with, with uh, different idols. And so that brings us to chapter 3. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war at least those who had not formally known it, namely five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, um, Hermon, to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left, that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So they've entered the promised land, but what happened was they were told to get rid of all these different trot, these different foreigners in the land. But they were disobedient. They did not get rid of all the foreigners. And so God finally said, hey, 
be careful what you ask for. And so he leaves these people in their land to test them, to test future generations after Joshua was gone. And so that's where we find ourselves. So back in verse 5, thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. And that's why he was telling them to get rid of those foreigners, because they took their daughters as wives, and then before you know it, um, uh, they're, they're, they're worshiping these false idols. And so I, you know, I was thinking, gosh, you know, do we do that today? Um, and then, you know, why were they so drawn to that? And so as I started studying, um, you know, this uh, Baal, why would they do that? I couldn't really understand it. And so, you know, as I did a little more research, I found out that Baal's father was Dagon, this this god and Asherah was his wife and Asherah births 70 little gods and so that's their mythology is that Asherah and Dagon who was this fertility god he's the god of seed so um, they were really really just enthralled with it with uh, these gods of theirs because the agriculture meant everything it was their livelihood and of course he's this seed god and they're in Mesopotamia, where we find ourselves then in that next verse, in verse uh, 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. Then the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim, uh, so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And so that's the first judge. And there's a couple very interesting points about the first judge. The anger of the Lord was hot against him. When the children of Israel cried out, he raised up a deliverer for the children who delivered them. And and in verse 10, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. Now, in the men's studies, we've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it comes mightily upon people. And it didn't come mightily upon all the judges, but it did amongst Othniel, and that's why he is considered one of the purest and most complete judges of Israel, because he displayed all these qualities and God's hand the Holy Spirit rested mightily upon him. Now we first hear about Othniel um, uh, because he comes from you know a good bloodline, and back in Judges chapter one verse thirteen, and Othniel the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so he gave his daughter Aksa to as wife. So if you back up one more verse, basically. Um, uh, Joshua wants them to go to war against Debir. 
the name of De Beer was formerly Kirjath Sefer. And then he basically, uh, then Caleb said, whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer, I'm sorry, it was Caleb, and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Aksa as wife. So he really wanted this town. De Beer was city of books, and, and um, Kirjath Sefer was, a, was sanctuary. So he wanted to take this city, De Beer, and make it, the sanctuary, kind of the showpiece, and it was very dear to him that he conquered the city, and, and not a, none other than Othniel steps up and takes over and takes the city. It was a fortified city, and so it, it wasn't just there for the plundering. And so that, that was a feather in his cap, and as a direct result, he received um, Aksa as his wife. And so he's a, a, a mighty warrior. Joshua was like 70 uh, Caleb was 85, so Caleb was actually older than Joshua, and then he's got this younger brother who carries the torch for a minute and delivers Israel as that first judge, which, um, which is a, a definite feather in his cap. And, and so it's, it's, just, it's, it's interesting that you see this cycle. In all of Judges, the, there's a, a, a cycle of, uh, well, I guess we could call it the judges cycle. So it's sin, repentance, salvation, and then they fall back into sin. Um, uh, again, it, it, it was wise. So Mesopotamia was basically, it means a land between two rivers. So you had the Tigris, the Euphrates, and then they came down, from, those rivers came down from the mountains, and they deposited rich sediments on the high ground. And then down lower, it was flat, and they actually irrigated it. They dug ch- irrigation channels, and so they had this masterful art, uh, agricultural development. And the 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 serfs they had a class system, and they would basically force people to work the canals and keep them irrigated. And so, to the Israelites, you know, they were in awe of all this fertility, and so it was easy to say, "Oh, you know, Baal is the reason why." Uh, that they're so prosperous, and so let's bow down and worship their god. And then Asherah was, you know, of course, this goddess who birthed 70 gods, so there were Asherah poles, and basically it was prostitution. I mean, it was temple prostitutes, and so, you know, it, 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 it would... Uh, guys are saying, okay, so if I do worship my wife's god, then we'll have great crops, and, you know, I get to go to out with the boys. And so... You know, do we do that today? Sure we do. We have these cycles. We, you know, we get a good job. We're thinking, hey, I'm impervious to, to anything happening to me. And then the next thing you know, here comes this trial. The Lord, the Bible teaches that it doesn't say if trials come. It says when trials come. And they're going to come. It's just a matter of how we handle them. And the more mature we get spiritually, then we're able to go from glory to glory or from trial to trial and develop our walk as Christians. And so, uh, you know, when we're going through trials, your, your kids are watching you, your spouse is watching you. And so I think the true test of a man or a woman is how they handle themselves in those trials. I, uh, I, I lost my job in, in, Ra- in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was a plant manager. I'd never been laid off before, and we were, had a great church up there. And so we had a, a group that we golfed with, and one was an assistant pastor. And so I'm telling him, you know, I got laid off. And, you know, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And he looks at me and says, great, I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do with you. And I was like, w- w- 
you know, just the last thing you're expecting to hear. And uh, sure enough, he comes out with that. And it really, it really stuck with me because here you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're thinking, well, oh, woe is me, what's going to happen? And then he's like, yeah, this is great. And so I was telling one brother that whole, that exact story one day, we just went out for a cup of coffee. I had no idea why he wanted to get together. And I tell him that story and he's like, have you, did you hear? Did you know? I said, no, what, what are you talking about? He goes, I lost my job. And I was like, really? I mean, so it was just a divine appointment. I, I, don't, I don't believe in coincidences. And so here, you know, I'm just telling him the story just because it was a natural outflow of what we were talking about and having the coffee. And sure enough, so that one thing led to another. And I was able to, to minister to him. And I said, I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do with you, of course. And what did he do? He filled his bank account, gave him another job, gave him another part-time job and had him work less hours, spend more time with his family. So um, my brother used to say, you know, when, when one door closes, another one opens. And, and if we're then attuned to what the Lord wants us to do, that's an easy thing to do. So again, it's, it's, it's a matter of that spiritual maturity. We don't want to end up like the Israelites coveting, you know, this fertility God thinking, oh, that's the way they do it. Um, and they'd come full circle. I mean, that was where, where their ancestors were from. Their ancestors were from that f- very fertile area of Canaan. That's where uh, it was Ur of the Chaldeans was the city in Canaan that where uh, uh, where Sarah and, and Abraham started. So it, it was just interesting that they did all, all that traveling only to come back there and be in prison in that land. And um, later, of course, the Assyrians would take over. But just an interesting time in history for them but more importantly, an interesting time for the people because, you know, basically they start worshiping these idols. Next thing you know, they're, they're in trouble. They're in more trouble than they can count. Um, but, uh, if, you, if you really wind things back, they were fighting the Philistines, and I don't want to steal Pastor's Thunder, but back in First Samuel chapter 5, you know, uh, the backstory of chapter before, they're, they're fighting the Philistines. They never stop and they never say, let's pray, you know, let's go to the Lord. Let's see what he wants us to do. What do they do? They, they lose. They lose 20,000, 10,000 men in a day, 20,000 men. They go, oh, let's just go get the Ark of the Covenant from Ebenezer and bring it back to this Canaan city tomorrow and surely we'll beat them. So they go and they get the Ark and Eli, he's a big man. He's, you know, huge. He's like morbidly obese because he's been eating the fat that the Lord told him to burn as a sweet aroma to me. So, you know, Eli, the high priest, is disobedient, and it flows downhill to his kids. And so his boys run back, and they get the Ark of the Covenant, bring it back into battle the, the next day. And the, there's this thunderous roar, yeah, and the Palestinians hear these guys, and they're like, oh, no, we're in trouble now. They got the Ark of the Covenant, and we're just going to be in all kinds of trouble. And so, again, they haven't gone to the Lord in prayer. They're just freewheeling it. They bring the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield and they lose and they take the Ark of the Covenant and they all get slaughtered except for one guy runs back to Eli and Eli's waiting with bated breath. I mean, the Lord lived above the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. So this is like God is lost. You know, I mean, when I was a a, a kid, they called me in and uh, I'm sorry, they called me in and uh, they said, uh, Mike, you know, where's God? I said, what do you mean? He looked at me and said, where's God? The pastor did. And I, I, 
I got real nervous. And the third time he started to ask me, I ran out and I got my brother and I said, we got to go. I said, uh, God's lost and they're trying to pin it on us. So uh, uh, it'd be kind of like that situation where God is lost. We have lost God. And so that brings us to Samuel chapter 5. Um, and so this battle's occurred. I've given you the backstory. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, which would have been one of those, uh, I'm sorry, Philistine cities. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, that's that God, and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on the face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So basically, he's in a prone position. They set him back up and then he loses his head and his hands because every god will bow down to the true and living God, and that's what happened in this instance. So then just to summarize uh, what happens from there, they, there's five different Palestinian cities and five different lords over those cities, and they basically are operating independently, much like the Israelite tribes at this leaderless time in history. And so it goes to all five of the cities, and they develop boils. It's killing people. I mean, they're getting plagued. There's boils. They're infested with rats. I mean, think uh, uh, Moses and the plagues. And so they send it to all five cities. They all get boils and rats. And so they say, what are we going to do? And uh, somebody that had some wisdom says, we're going to send it back. And send it back, though, with a, with a sin offering because we shouldn't have taken it. And so they make five golden tumors and they make five golden rats because the five different cities were afflicted. They put it in a cart, and they take two um, heifers who recently gave birth, and they leave the kids back in the barn. The calves are in the barn, so naturally no newborn calf is going to be deserted by its mother. So they're still testing God, even though they've got this plague going on. They're like, well, let's see if he's really God. We'll put put these, you know, cows on here and leave their kids there. They put the Ark of the Covenant in a wagon with the five golden tumors and the five golden rats. And the, the cows set out and they just keep going and keep going and keep going back to the Israelites. And they end up in uh, none other than Joshua's field in Shechem, which is I thought was just amazing that that's where those cows go with the Ark of the Covenant. And then, of course, the Israelites are excited and they make the mistake they needed Indiana Jones to tell him not to look inside the ark, but he wasn't there. So they look inside and they, a bunch of them get roasted. But they get the ark back and they're happy. But if they had just been obedient to begin with. So again, do we do that? We're flying high. Everything's going great. Um, and then we start backsliding and doing things we who said we'd never do when we were crying out to the Lord because we were in such trouble. And if you just help me this time, Lord, I promise I'm going to... And then we, you know, forget about that and we go on to the next thing. So we do that. Uh, The other thing we do is, you know, everybody's going out for a beer and to chase girls after work. You know, I don't want to be the... No, that's not how it works. So if you're 
going over to the dark side, trying to fit in, it's just, it's not going to work for you. It's just not what Lord, the Lord wants of you, what he wants you to do. And, the, and so, so many people are conflicted that way and think they have to do that to get ahead in life, but, but that's not the way. Or being unequally yoked with, with a spouse or unequally yoked with, with a business partner, it, there's no difference. So again, I tried to relate what we do in this age to what the Israelites did then. You know, why? How? How would they do that? That just made no sense to me. And then you think of the, the prosperity doctrine, you know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. It's like, I'm Cleflo Dollar, look at me. You know, I shouldn't use names, but, or this is my Bible. And then that's the last time you see the Bible and they're telling you, you know, you gotta love yourself first. No one ever had a problem loving themselves. You know, you get up, you look in the mirror, you could be the most homely person in the world. It's like, whoo, you know, well, I like that haircut. I mean, we all love ourselves. So I mean, I'm almost sickened by all this stuff you see. You got to love yourself. You got to do this. You got to do that. Just walk with the Lord. Serve the Lord all days of your life. And uh, he, he in return will, will, I mean, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God won't be mocked. So uh, all I know is it, it, on that day, I don't want to hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so many people will be surprised to hear to hear that said. And so, you know, God is, is so good and he's been so faithful. If I look back, I mean, there are times when I was in situations you just can't see a way out. You literally can't see a way out. And then God comes along and puts you together with the, the right person or, or maybe it's not even a person. Maybe he just changes your thought life. You know? And that's why pastor's been imploring everybody to stay in the word because new stuff is revealed every time you go in the word. You know, I read the Bible cover to cover five times every year. Every time you read it, there's something new that's revealed. I mean, I just, I've learned so much. Uh, you know, you got to, when you're standing up here, you kind of have to pick and choose because there's, there's so many different paths you could go down. But what struck me is the fact that we've all got a choice to make. We really do. And he's equipped us with all the wisdom that we need. It's right here. And I, I mean, there were, for years and years and years, I just prayed, you know, Lord, you know, give me wisdom, knowledge, understanding, guidance, guide my steps. And, you know, I thought, why do I do that all the time? And I did it for five, six, seven years. I even do it now. And he answers prayer. And so he started opening up things for me and helping me to understand the Bible, um, which he'll do when the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we each have we each have the ability to, to ask for gifts. If you want a gift and you don't have it, ask for it. You know, taste and see. He's, he's faithful and true. And um, he answers prayer. It's not always what we want to hear, but he knows what we need and he knows when we need it. And, and you know, Charlie Campbell, um, we were at a men's conference. We go to the men's conference in October every year, guys, so mark your calendars. And, uh, you know, my brother picked out a breakout session. It was Charlie Campbell. And, and he was, his website is alwaysbeready.com. And he says, there are 26,000 artifacts that have been found and not a single one disputes a biblical fact. Not a single one has been found. The number one archaeologist in the world, that's his pitch, says, I use the Bible to find things. And, and, and then you think about, you know, the Bible, 66 books, I think, written over 1,500 years on three different continents by people speaking three different languages, and yet the internal consistency of this Bible 
is incredible. I wrote a book. I couldn't keep chapter one straight from chapter five. I'm like, what am I? I my editor said it's like untangling matted dog hair. And it was my story. You know, I can't, I mean, and if I, I, I got a deeper appreciation for what Charlie's saying about 66 books, three continents, 1,500 years, three different languages, and yet the internal consistency, just as we showed tonight. You know, it might not always flow chronologically, but you can study it different ways, and you can see those connections. The cows brought it back to Joshua's field in Shechem, of all places. So, it's, uh, it's just, it's powerful. It's really powerful. Particularly, and, and Charlie went on to say, you know, alwaysbeready.com. He formed that because, you know, this, he was talking to a Muslim guy one day and he said, well, yeah, you know, the Bible's cool, but there's all these contradictions. He goes, what are you talking about? So the guy names 10 contradictions and Charlie didn't have an answer. And that's when he said, I'm going to dig in and understand. And so he's got different clips and you can look at them, but I found it powerful and my, I'm, I've got a non-believer in my family and it's like, well, what about this? Well, what about that? So I started researching, yes, but, and you know, you're able to say, well, he was leaving the city and one says he was coming to the city. There were twin cities with the same name. So there's all these different things that if you really dive in, you can truly be ready to defend your faith. But at the end of the day, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is the most powerful instrument that we have. So when people are, you know, looking at me and, I just say, all I can tell you is what he's done in my life, where I was, you know, when a cop's holding a gun to my head versus in Chicago, no less. Uh, you know, you can't tell me that the Lord hasn't delivered me from so many things so many times. Uh, so, yeah, the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony is the most powerful thing when people can look at your life and you're a living example of what God can do. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I know a lot of my friends are smarter than me. I just say, you know, I just try and stay attuned to what the Lord's will is for my life, and he's never failed me yet. I'm just going to keep doing what he, what he reveals that I should be doing until I pass away. And that makes it simple. I don't have to think about what I'm doing all the time. I just have to do what the Lord instructs. You know? And that's been the beauty of even planting a church. I mean, it's been an honor to be a part of it. And we just are obedient. And, and uh, when, when things are done decently in order, then the results are obvious. So, um, I, I, like I said, I was definitely blessed by the study. Um, the the takeaway is, uh, you know, there are so many references to, to back to that Mesopotamia and uh, Padan Aram. When you hear Padan Aram, that's a plain of Aram, and that's that same area. So it goes all the way back to to Genesis when they talk about it, and the, clearly they talk about it in Judges. But uh, I think we'll have a good time. I'm, I'm not going to steal uh, the next speaker's uh, thunder. Othniel was really a short passage, and he's not the most exciting guy. But there is a lot more excitement coming, uh, as you'll see next week. But um, just remember that he, the Lord rested mightily upon him. And I think any of us would be honored to be able to say, you know, the Spirit rested mightily upon me and uh, allowed me to do, to serve the Lord, and to, to win more souls for, for Christ, and so with that, uh, I'll close in prayer, yeah, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to, uh, to teach your word this evening, and I just pray for anyone 
that doesn't know you that um, that they would just pray with me right now that um, they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They want to repent and accept Jesus into their heart. And uh, if you pray that prayer with me right now, then um, Jesus will indwell you. The Holy Spirit will indwell you. And uh, you can walk with the Lord all your days. So if you don't know the Lord, please just uh, uh, get with one of us after church. And we'd love to spend some time with you and uh, give you some material and bring you into our family. So thanks again, Lord, for the opportunity to share. And I just pray that uh, you would continue to direct us and guide us. And we just thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.